0: So before we begin this episode, you're probably looking at the cover going, wait, I thought Justin Williams was going to be the season finale, and now there's another sprinter from Los Angeles who's going to be the season finale? Yes, the reality is, is that Justin and I had a scheduling conflict we couldn't quite nail down before I finished up the season and went on a well-deserved vacation. So I went to the archives and I found this incredible interview that I had done with uh, Rasan Bahati that needed to be aired. I was planning on airing it during the course of the second season, but this seems like an ideal time to get this conversation out there. So without further ado, let's start the show. is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Bike racing is like the best version of a Broadway musical play going on tour. You take the best actors, or in the case of bike racing, athletes. You send them out on the road, and you have them perform in towns across the country, cities all over the world, for the masses. And you bring with it this energy and this action and this passionate story about people trying to be their best, trying to perform at the highest level possible. But the story isn't just about what's being broadcast to the masses or what's being broadcast to the audience. It's also about the athletes within So as these athletes move through city to city, Atlanta to D.C. to Winston-Salem to L.A. to San Rafael, Littleton, Chicago, Milwaukee, you name it, they get to know each other. They get to learn who the individual racer is underneath the helmet and sunglasses. And those people have a positive impact on you. I got the chance to sit down and talk with a whole group of incredibly positive athletes from Los Angeles who are a part of the Methods to winning team. And specifically with Rasan Bahati, multi-time national champion on the track and on the road, a philanthropist and entrepreneur, somebody who's created his own foundation to help assist inner city youth and growing and getting exposure to things beyond just their world in Compton or Watts. And we talked, of course, about bike racing and his upbringing and how he became so good at doing what he does, but also about providing exposure to communities that wouldn't necessarily be a part of the typical cycling scene. And we did talk about where the future is and where we're going. Today's story is told in three chapters. The first chapter, straight out of Compton. Rasan, born and bred in LA, in Compton, comes to the sport of bike racing in a less than direct route. I'll let him pick it up from there.
1: hey everyone my name is Rasan Bahati from Los Angeles California founded methods to winning going on two years ago and the idea was to bring three champions together as one of our principals would call it uh, Justin Williams Sharon Smith and myself uh, we were out racing in California all on separate squads and um, we sat down one day and over lunch and came up with this idea to uh, found uh, found a for-profit, uh, organization, but also a race team to, um, I guess, promote the business and, and continue to allow us to uh, have some fun.
0: How did that name, Methods to Winning, come about?
1: Just literally sitting around and spitballing ideas. Um, we came up with some very corny names. We came up with some very uh, uh, like sophisticated names. And then I think what we really agreed on is that I think Justin said it best is like, it doesn't matter what type of rider you are. You always have to sprint. And that kind of took us to the next, that was like layer number one, you know, Um, it's like, it's true. If you're in a breakaway with someone, you still got to sprint, you got to out sprint them. Uh, If, if uh, you're, uh, you know, going uphill and you're in a group, you got to sprint to the line. And so all three of us have this, sprinter's mentality mentality so it was i think that was like the first layer and then i don't know where methods came from uh maybe Sharon run out something and then like just it just all came together I, I wish we could have like recorded that ideation meeting because i don't know how we came up with it but we heard it and put it on
0: paper and then there there was i don't know if it's just my perception or if it's a reality but you bring so much swagger to bike racing, not just the way that you behave in in your races and and, and around the racing, but like the kits that you have ridden in Mm -hmm. with Rock Racing or the Bahati Foundation and even Methods, you know, bright, high-vis yellow. How much of that sort of swagger is your personality and how much of it is I'm the best of the best and I've got to show that I'm the best of the best?
1: Well, Rock Racing Designs had nothing to do with me. I don't know if people are familiar with Bobby Endo, but you should check him out, Endo Customs. He's out of Los Angeles. He was, I, I would say he was more of the mastermind behind a lot of those kit designs and how, um, like, uh, booming your face they were, how bright. Um, and he's making clothing to this day, Endo Customs. But when it came to my team, so when I, I did my first jersey in 2010, I just wanted to, I wanted the jersey to represent me and what I liked and what I think my peers would like. Um, So like for instance, the very first one was just a simple Bahati foundation across the chest with the LA skyline. And then I've been perfecting that ever since. And uh, you know, I've designed every kit that I've worn since 2010, since I started my own team. Including what you see today with methods to winning. Um we're just trying to stay ahead, you know, uh doing something different and inspiring people. Now the the hive is is important. We live in Los Angeles where it's congested, right? We're we're not out in like San Bernardino where you can just ride for miles without cars. And the metropolitan area where we live is congested and you wanna be seen, you know. So Some people think it's funny that during the day, I ride with a blinky light, you know, on the rear. And it's like, you just got to give the driver every opportunity to see you. And so a lot of the fashion, yes, I want it to look good. But but what you see today in our kit is also visibility. I will tell you that people start, even though this high-vis yellow has been around for a long time, people call it Bahati yellow, you know. So it's kind of like a color... I just i'm i'm easily attracted to. It's starting to have its own little um, name of itself, so we may we may stick with that.
0: You may be the new Bianchi color, the <laughs> celestial. Beauty. Yeah,
1: seriously, right? You see that color? Oh, that's Bianchi
0: color. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be kind of cool. You're born and bred, SoCal, L.A., yeah. Compton. How does a guy from Compton get into bike racing?
1: A guy like me got into bike racing because uh, a sixth grade teacher saw a young kid who had potential to do something bigger and better than what he was doing at the moment, which was, for the most part, being a class clown, you know. Um I, I was fortunate enough to grow up with mom and dad, so that helped me through a lot of the, um, the negative things growing up in Compton because I did have some accountability, you know what I mean? Uh unlike some of my peers who was raised by foster care or only by their grandmother or a single mom who worked three jobs so yeah my parents were busy and working and I also have five five sisters and a brother but I knew I had to stand up to mom and dad when I was doing wrong Uh, so just mischievous you know just jacking around the whole time and uh, Reggie Garman introduced me to the sport of bikes and that's literally how I found it at the age of 11
0: years old So I read an article, an interview that your mom, Queen, gave Mm -hmm. recently about getting you into the sport on the track. That was your intro to to bike racing, and the the track in Carson is kind of legendary.
1: Yeah, it's where they held the 84 Olympics. So you had this state-of-the-art outdoor 333-meter track. The facility was fantastic. Um, it was built for the Olympics, so imagine, I mean, this is huge, just thousands and thousands of people, you know. Uh, it was a proper track. Unfortunately, that track was demoed and the LA Galaxy, which is a MLS soccer team, built their new stadium over, over on top of it. Um, I was in Indiana at the time mm-hmm. and I remember just being super sad because that was home for me, you know, for a long time. If I wasn't at the track, I was literally home. If I wasn't home, I was at the track. So luckily, you know, we did get this indoor wooden track, but the track itself is fantastic, but the facility is not even close to what the 84 Olympic facility was and where I started. Um, So yeah, track racing was huge uh, for me. I didn't know about road racing
0: until Mm. I was like
1: 14, 15. So you're talking like three, four years in, I had no idea what a road bike was.
0: How does the sport keep your attention when you're a teenager? I mean, I was a, I was a teenager here in Chicago, and I was a swimmer. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many competing things that happen in life. Women and football and, you know, school and all that stuff. How do you stay focused mm-hmm. on the sport of cycling in SoCal? Well, at that time, it, it
1: wasn't 100% commitment to, to cycling. I I was... Doing this after-school program, which only was a commitment of three and a half hours a week, it was, it was basically a form of punishment. I left that part out. It was a, it was a form of punishment why I even started the after-school program, um, which was ran by the Amateur Athletic Foundation, the AAF, uh, which is now LA84 uh, organization. Um, it was a form of punishment, and I was only doing that, like I said, you know, three and a half, four hours a week, and I was running track. Playing football and playing baseball, Um, I did that all the way up to about 15 years old. So those sports kept me busy, along with this punishment I was doing for the first year and a half. It wasn't until I was about 13, maybe 13 and a half, that I was like, "Man, I really like this bike thing." You know, Um, I don't know what it was. I was really good at baseball as a catcher. I was making all city stuff as a football player as a safety and it was just something about cycling and so one day my dad's like you need to make a decision you know you're doing all these sports i'm running around town it's getting a little pricey you know pick one and without hesitation i I chose cycling for what reason I, i still can't pinpoint it you know but no regrets there you know what i mean it's it's been an amazing journey but back to your point your question i think i was just so busy you know and I I go back to my parents. They were the foundation for the decisions that I made. You know, I made some bad decisions as a youth. I think we all do. But when it came to like just doing the right thing, it was it was definitely a result of
0: parenting. You know, who other than your mom, Queen, and your dad, Rashid? Mm -hmm. Who other than them served as a mentor to the to the young Rashan Uh,
1: well, when I got into when I got really into cycling, I mean, it's it's heaps. I, so many you know, um, from the local club in Los Angeles called Major Motion, uh, which is named after Major Taylor, you know the champion cyclist at the turn of the century, um, and I can list a name, I mean a list of those people who were mentors. Uh, all the way up to today, you know you got an opportunity to meet my good friend Dan. I've met so many incredible people through the bike i don't know if I would have met these type of people playing football or basketball, you know.
0: Is there a thing about bike racing that because it's a national sport and it's a sport that's like a moving circus, basically, you go from town to town to town to city to city to city that we create these bonds with people that we necessarily wouldn't talk to otherwise?
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, you get a that opportunity you're talking about uh, to go town to town, and I've been all over the United States... Besides North and South Dakota, right? I've pretty much raced in every state. Each place you've go, I've been to, I've met someone who has had a positive impact on my life, right? Some are long-lasting people that I've met years ago and I'm friends with today. Some, you know, you you just meet them for that time and they they show gratitude. They tell you a story. You're humbled by something they have spoken to you, and it it has altered my life, you know, in a positive way forever. Yeah, it's just, it's a unique sport. It's a it's a weird sport, but I think it's very unique. And that's part of the reason I stayed in it so long is when I was young, you know, some people would laugh at this, but I didn't shake the hand of someone that wasn't black until I was like 14, 15 years old. And so that may seem a little weird or strange, but it's like, you grew up in Compton and at that time Compton is predominantly black. My school is predominantly black. You know, you're bl- black or Hispanic. So who else are you going to communicate with? You know, you're, that's my bubble. And so cycling really took me outside of that bubble, you know, took me all over the place. And, and I think that's what really shaped me is just moving around. That travel is, it's, it's bigger than an education at an institution, in my opinion.
0: So let's talk about an education um, and an education done the hard way on the job. You are a celebrity, a sprint celebrity, track celebrity. The Palomars are nearly limitless. You've won just about every major crit in the United States. Two two amateur, well, one amateur national championship, one pro national championship, uh, junior championships. You excel at being there in the last 200 meters. Mm-hmm. But... To be there in the last 200 meters means you need to manage the chaos and work your way through the chaos. Is there something that you learned through your experience of how to just find your way to that finish line? I think it goes
1: back to the velodrome. You know, Uh, if the listeners out there are not familiar with track racing, you should Google it, YouTube it. I mean, you're talking about anywhere from 15 to 25, 26 cyclists on a – Velodrome a track uh which is banked with single speed gears, uh fixed gear, I should say, so no coasting, no brakes, no water bottles. Um and it really teaches you how to maneuver your bike. Because your our first reaction when something goes wrong in a crit is to grab the brake, right? Well, it's not like that in track racing. Your your first your first maneuver is to figure out how to maneuver without <laughs> how to maneuver it without using any brakes or back uh, So it's it, it teaches you a really good skill set. And I was lucky enough to start there first, which I think if we want if like if I was in charge of USA Cycling and you wanted to get a license, you would have to start on the velodrome. You would have to go through a class and go through these steps and learn like we even learn how to crash properly you know, using your elbows to protect you, one of the hardest parts of your body and not putting your hand out, for instance. Um, That's how we shatter our wrists and break our collarbones because our first reaction is to put our hand out. And so when it comes to maneuvering, I think if God gave me any talent, it's reading a race. It's, It's seeing what's happening before it happens. Even at, you know, 40 miles an hour, things are still in slow motion for me. And I don't think that's something you can necessarily teach you can definitely walk people through it but you either have the knack or you don't um go back and watch Justin's Justin Williams opening day of Tulsa tough this year and watch the moves that he had to make in the closing like for four corners you can't teach that you just can't you know and I think we both have the same uh knack for seeing what's happening how to use other people to your advantage Um, And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's hard to explain, man. Um, But yeah, I've I've made a living on maneuvering and wiggling my way through a Peloton when sometimes I wasn't necessarily the fastest or strongest person. It was more about positioning and understanding the
0: dynamic and seeing things and and using other riders to my advantage. The mental part of the sport and the mental part of being a competitor, you you've been a marked rider since 2000, probably since long before then. Mm -hmm. People know that you're gonna sprint. And if they have you on their wheel with 200 meters to go, it's not going to turn out well for them 95% Mm -hmm. of the time. But with that comes a lot of stress. And with that comes a lot of baggage of, oh, I need to perform again, I need to perform again. How do you manage that? And how do you you know, build your expectations so that you can stay positive?
1: Honestly, I've never been a guy who stressed about bike racing. And that, that could be a gift and a curse, right? Uh, I think the gift is I always try to enjoy it. And so growing up where I grew up, bike racing was nothing but an escape, you know, uh, from the concrete jungle. Uh, cycling and, and racing was a way for me to just get away. So I never had stress, even even when I was making decent money and and, and uh, teams expected me to win. There was still no stress. I knew there was a bigger picture somewhere else. You know, there was other people that were really stressing. You know, uh, I had acquaintances and and friends from Compton who was losing loved ones every other day to gun violence. You know, now you're talking about stress. So I think growing up in a situation like that and an environment like that when you have something like a bike race, it doesn't, it doesn't stress me out. Like as much as I'm disappointed that we're not having a successful intelligentsia right now, I'm disappointed because I want us to win and I feel like we have the goods to win. But at the end of the day, we're still out here having fun. It's like the local softball league for us, man. You know, we're not doing this for a living. Um, so that's just the competitive side of me. So, never really had a lot of stress and when it and when you talk about like they they know you're going to sprint what you're going to do about it when when all cylinders are clicking it's nothing you can do about it so it's like i'll go back to justin right now or even like daniel holloway he had his moment for two or three years he was unstoppable he's going to win every crit you know unless he beats himself i was that guy from you know 2000 seven to about 2009 you know you have like these little windows where you're just going to win everything you enter and now it's justin and then in a couple years it'll be someone else and you know you ride that wave and uh you enjoy all the moments and hopefully by doing putting yourself on this uh platform where people are seeing you you're actually making a positive impact in someone else's lives which is what i pride myself on more than all the wins, you know, uh, I didn't realize how much my winning or even my presence still have an impact on on people and people that are older than me, you know, that's like, man, I look up to you, you're inspiring, you got me into the sport of cycling, um, one, because of the color of my skin, two, because I'm out there competing, you know, and they didn't think they could do it. <laughs>
0: So this brings us to chapter two of today's episode. Chapter two, give back. With incredible accomplishments all over the place in his career, Rassan wanted to do something to provide exposure and opportunity for people who didn't have it before. Growing up in Compton and in Watts, you can obviously tell that Rassan cares deeply about inner city youth and the experiences of those who have come since him. That's why he created the Bahati Foundation, a 501c3 organization that's dedicated to providing inner-city youth with opportunity. So, I needed to find out more about what that organization is for and why he decided to do it.
1: The Bahati Foundation, the... The idea came in 2009. Uh, It came to reality in 2010, and it was just gonna be a cycling club. And the club was meant to be like this billboard, a way to get a critical mass group of people to promote the Bahati Foundation. In turn, that will help raise funds and help inner city schools and youth rise above their circumstances, right? And I met some people who encouraged me to take it even bigger, start a team, you know, start this team. So the Bahati Foundation came along and we also started the Bahati Foundation Pro Cycling Team, which started small, morphed into something big. We had a full racing calendar. We did a big launch at Club Nokia, which is right next to Staples Center in L.A., downtown Los Angeles. Um, And it was a really good thing. We raised a bunch of money that night. Cannondale was our was our sponsor for bikes and they got this graffiti artist from uh, San Francisco, Mike Giant, to graffiti up some bikes that we auctioned off, and it was it was just a a really good start to to something that's still going on now. Um, there were some negative things that came along with uh, having the team. You know, we hired Floyd Landis. He had some demons he needed to get off of his back, rightfully so. And um, about Lance and this whole downfall, it had a negative impact on the team. Uh, however, the foundation the foundation persevered, and we're still doing the work that we set out to do, which is just to change the lives of, of inner city youth. We work in predominantly Los Angeles area, in Compton and Watts, uh, but also do some work in the Chicago area. Recently visited Blackstone Bikes. Uh, I think it's South Side of Chicago. It's an organization uh, very similar to mine, except they're a little more hands on. They're actually teaching these young children a trade uh, and that trade is like um, learn and earn right so or earn and learn one of the two they are teaching them how to become a master mechanic bicycle mechanic and people donate bikes to them and they fix them up and they can sell them and for for a profit Uh, they also have a garden and they do the same thing they have a farmer's market so very similar organizations and I, I would say that If I had it my way, my children will be running the Bahati Foundation, you know, when I can't do it anymore. And we'll have, you know, a brick and mortar somewhere where kids are are learning and it's a safe haven and it's a place that they can go for enrichment, you know, and whatnot. I'm happy to say we've done a lot of positive things. We've raised money to give new instruments to, to schools We've got some really good loyal uh, donors who continue to help us throughout the years so we can continue to have positive impacts on people.
0: And if people want to learn more about the foundation, the website's bahadifoundation.org. That's it, yep. And if they want to email info at bahadifoundation.org. Perfect. Or even my first name, rasan at bahadifoundation.org. Obviously, it's a five hundred and one c. So if they want to donate to a charitable good or a charitable cause, mm-hmm. there's a button right there on the website.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's different there's different things that you can donate to. Of course, there's a general donation button, but like if you're passionate about music, like I am, uh, music music was the first thing I learned to do. I played saxophone, and then I went to drums. So like our three our three pillars right now is education, music, and sports, the three things that I like the most. And then we're actually moving in another realm, which is STEM programs. And it's all through cycling. It all connects, you know, with my connection with Zwift, with my connection with Giant and e-bikes. And this is all science and math and everything else. So I had some conversations about, you know, how cool it'd be to have kids learn how to make an e-bike and then bring that to market through Giant or through whatever company, you know, that'd be pretty awesome. So stuff like that we're working on because as we move into the future, technology is just going to take over, you know, and as you know now, it's already taken over, so it's going to get even bigger. So uh, we definitely don't want those kids to miss the boat, you know.
0: You know, I thought that maybe the Bahati Foundation was to find the next Rasan Bahati, but it sounds like you don't want one person, you want a hundred. You want a hundred to train another hundred. You want that hundred to keep going. And suddenly, you know, Compton and and inner city youth are, are empowered. Yeah. It's not,
1: (laughs) cycling is a tough sport, right? And I know it's not for everyone. I mean, for years I was embarrassed from what i had to wear as a cyclist if you want to if you wanted to call me that back then you know the funny looking shoes and the tight pants and growing up in compton you it's just you didn't wear that you know what i mean you you play basketball and you play football and that was okay you can even be a wrestler and wear tights but (laughs) wearing cycling kits just wasn't cool and that's not why i don't push for uh the next cyclist the fact of the matter is we will find that person organically, right? If, if you want to be a bike racer, you're going to be a bike racer. You don't have to push. No one had to push me to be a bike racer, right? I did this program. All of a sudden I decided that I, that I really enjoyed it and I wanted to pursue it. So that's what I did. All my friends who were pushed by their parents to be cyclists, all quit every last one of them. I can't name one of them that is that's even riding, because their parents were so hard on them and they were pushed to the limits i was lucky my parents just supported me you wanted to do it all right do it just give it your all we're here to support you so it's the same with the foundation if we find that young man young woman that's coming coming through our program and they're really fascinated by cycling and want to pursue cycling then yes we will give resources to that that's not like you said that's not the big picture the big picture is the is the change hundreds if not thousands at a time change their lives at a time you know
0: so what's the demographic like for the kids who are part of the program is it predominantly african-american latino Um, what types of ages are we talking about yeah
1: definitely uh predominantly predominantly black ages from about nine to 13 is the demographic we really want to hit middle school is the grade i think you really want to go after high school as you know, we've both been through high school. By that time, it's hard to really crack that nut. Middle school, you can kind of dangle that carrot in front of them and and get them to sway one way or another. Um, So we really focus on the middle school demographic. And it is predominantly black, but color doesn't matter. You know, there's people in need that, that don't look like me, that look like you as well. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter if if we're in if we're in that neighborhood and we can impact you we're going to do it you know is there's no there's no oh you're not black or you're not latino you know you're not you can't be a part of this program no there's tons of people who need help you know
0: we've arrived at chapter 3 of our episode chapter 3 into the future, where do we go from here? Rasan has stepped back. The glitz and glamour of the professional bike racing scene no longer has his undivided attention. Rather, he's got the normal 9-to-5 job, but his job is with Zwift. And in that job, he has a, a great opportunity to engage communities in Southern California and across the world and get people active, get people moving. But he remains the Rassan Bahati that we all knew he was in the early 2000s through 2008-2009 when he was virtually untouchable. And he remains a role model for so many young men and women, black, white, Latino, Asian, it doesn't matter. And he has a mission. To get more people involved in the sport more people that look like him, and more people that share his experiences.
1: So I was recently hired to, I was on the marketing team, and I did anything from uh, promoting in real life events. Um, So that took me around the world in my first like four months of working with them. Um, I did a lot of the training camps because I had relationships with a lot of the pro cyclists. So it was was easy for me to just kind of smooth transition to uh, explaining what Zwift is to them, showing them the platform. But I recently moved over and started something called the Social Impact Team with one of the founders of Zwift. In my first six months of working with with, we're located in downtown Long Beach. Uh, and downtown Long Beach is very similar to Compton or Watts, right? Except it's right by the ocean and a little nicer. However, you can look out our office window off to the north and you can see the concrete jungle. And it was always, I always scratched my head. I said, wow, man, you know, we're going to South Africa. We're going to Germany. We're, we're in Italy and Spain. We're all over the world doing these activations and we do nothing in our backyard you know we're not engaging anyone right here that could truly use our resources and uh this was just a conversation between a few people between the powers that be they actually put some funding aside and and we started a social impact team most companies call it uh, you know social corporate responsibility or corporate social responsibility uh i i never really liked that Term um, so social impact is a, is a great way to uh, to say what we're doing and so what I do now is literally work on a grassroots level to cultivate our community that's uh, surrounding Los Angeles and Long Beach. So a lot of grassroots programs, a lot of uh, giving back to uh, local organizations. Uh, for instance, we partner with the tour of Long Beach. It's a it's a grand fondo that raises money for uh, pediatric cancer. And so we're not about just like, we could have easily written a fifty hundred dollars dollars check and gave it to them as a donation, but that doesn't really help them, I think. And it didn't help us. So what we did is gave them resources, helped them bring in more participants. More participants equals more money, equals more awareness. And that was really the bottom line. So another thing that we're doing right now, there's a series a Tuesday night series called, uh, Dorado park and El Dorado park is a really nice park. Kind of, I, I would, I would say it's kind of like central park. Right. Um, and we don't have many parks like that in Los Angeles, but it's right in long beach. There's a, a crit series that's been going on for about 45 years and it's on the brink of going away. And it would be really sad. Someone like Saran learned how to race there. We heard about it, that they needed some help. And again, it's not about writing a check. It's about what can we do, what resources does Zwift have, which we have a lot of resources, to make sure this event stays relevant. And so just with our initial help, bringing back a podium, bringing back a DJ, announcing, you know, you're seeing... Tuesday night go from 75 riders now to 115 you know and hopefully this next Tuesday to go from 115 to 130 you know and our goal is to get it to you know 300 people every Tuesday night that's having a positive impact on our community one of the things that we preach is Zwift is making more people more active more often and so back to tour Long Beach you know getting more people in getting them more active and more often and the same thing with Dorado. so uh, that's what I'm doing now it's, it's a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to even more projects.
0: Speaking about getting more people involved, mm-hmm. is diversity a in this sport a conversation worth having?
1: 100%. Okay. Absolutely.
0: Um, getting more African Americans, more Latinos, more Asians involved in bike racing, because not everybody needs to look like me. Mm-hmm. I am the quintessential bike racer, grew up in the suburbs, got into the sport in college sort of thing, and I do it aside my profession. But getting more African Americans, more Latinos, more diversity into the sport, how how do we do it? And has it, well, let me ask you this, has it gotten better since you started? I
1: would say there's more recreational cyclists that look like me. But from a race side, no, it hasn't gotten better at all. I mean, you can go back to... You know it's bad when you can name all of the African-American cyclists over the last 100 years that had an impact on the sport. Major Taylor, Nelson Vales, Rassan Bahati, Justin Williams. That's it. I mean, that is crazy. Now You can name heaps of people that don't look like me, that's had a positive impact on the sport. So, no, it hasn't gotten better.
0: What do we as a community need to do to not just have Rashawn, Major Taylor, Justin Williams, but, you know, so many names that we, we, it's easier to not name people?
1: Part of it is exposure, you know. I think that's, that's the bottom line. That's the framework we have to start with. So start with exposure, because if I wasn't exposed to track cycling, I would have never found cycling, right? So you go to the inner city, there is no exposure to cycling. Now, everyone rides a bike, right? If you think back, the bike is our first form of transportation for almost any kid. So we know about bicycles, but we don't know about bike racing or uh, cycling for health, you know, most people right now in the inner city use a bike as a means of transportation. So exposure to the sport of cycling. When I was pro, man, we would go into these neighborhoods. We would take over their neighborhoods for five hours and then we would leave. And it was like, I always thought that was weird. You know, we go into like Trenton, New Jersey, close down their streets, race for hundreds of thousands of dollars and then leave. And then they would just look forward to next year. But there, we never... We never left anything for them you know we never engaged the community to say hey you too can do this all sorts of towns like that was like that man I would start with exposure and then from exposure who knows what comes you know all you need is one kid to be excited about it you know Uh, I had my good friend Kenny who lives in Georgia now he was excited because he saw me in LA Times exposure If I didn't have the article in L.A. Times, he would have never known. We would have just been classmates. Yet he saw me in L.A. Times sports section of this black kid from Compton who went to Argentina to race for USA Cycling national team. It blew his mind. He didn't know that was possible. He didn't know it was a thing. So that exposure helped us become friends. He became a cyclist, and the rest is
0: history. So when you named those names there, it was all meant. What about black women? Yeah, that's another story. That's an,
1: and that's a that's a harder nut to crack. And I, I I don't know why there's such a huge disconnect uh, from cycling and black women. I don't know. And I have three daughters. You know, um, I, I yeah I don't know the disconnect. And I would just go back. It, it may sound funny, but I, I think you just have to expose them to different things. We we live in such a a, a bubble that is sometimes it's hard to articulate why we don't do certain things, you know. I'll just talk about my life, my, my exposure. Because of cycling, I've been exposed to so many different things. I mean, like... Incredible That I I could, I would have never dreamt of. You know what I mean? I've met some incredible people and it was all because of exposure. So going back to like what I said earlier, getting out of your neighborhood is huge. I'm working on a program right now through the foundation to get kids out of the neighborhood and go mountain biking. I can guarantee you a lot of them never been in nature before. And that exposure will have a positive impact, at least on one of them. And it would change their life forever. Both male and female, uh, African Americans just need better exposure, man. I wish like cycling was like in, in the schools like basketball is, because everyone can't play basketball, just like everyone can't cycle and, and race for a living. but everyone can ride a bike, you know, and there's definitely more people riding recreationally or for just as a passion then there are racing full-time as a living that's why we don't push finding the next Rasam bahati as you said you know it's it's just more about exposure and i keep using that word but i think that's what needs to happen
0: so now now that we've got you we got the bahati foundation we've got justin and cory we've got you know sharon we got a lot of even on a local level in dc we have dj brew or angelo battle we've mm-hmm. got like you know, prominent people who are pushing to broaden the scope of the sport. What do you think the sport looks like 15, 20 years from now?
1: Yeah, it's good. But look, you just named all of those guys using two hands. It's going to take more, way more than that, right? Um, And I also think it starts from the top. So USA Cycling has a long way to go. Companies like Zwift has a long way to go. It's going to take more than these small non-profit organizations to have a, a, meaning, a, a meaningful impact. Yes, we can centralize that impact like in my neighborhood, but what about expanding it across the country, right? So it's going to take more. It's going to take these these huge organizations and companies to really get behind and and say, yes, we support this. And I think it's great. Like the names, the guys you named out of DC, I'm starting to know some of these guys and they are truly passionate guys who care about people. Some of them are law enforcement. So they definitely care about people they want to help. And they're out there riding their bikes, spreading the gospel about getting into the sport of cycling, which is great. But those 10 guys have to turn to you know, 1,000 guys, and then to 50,000, 100,000, because that's the only way it's going to work, right? This country's so, so so huge. And then back to the exposure. A couple black guys racing the Tour de France a few years ago, and now they're not. And it's like, that always rubs me the wrong way. Those guys are not good enough to be like a domestique, but guys who have no results, never won the polka dot jersey, they always find a team to, be, to do something. You know, so it's like you just gotta continue to pluck away at it, and and one day it'll be someone that's way better than all of us who would hopefully make it to the top step somewhere and have this global impact. You know, have this once you have this global impact, I think it it, it will change. But I'm I'm not saying it's a it's a lost cause, but I think we have a very long way to go, especially with women. You know, women in general, even if you look at numbers for. For uh, racing, cycling, uh, women's cycling and racing, their numbers are low as well. So there's something that's not as attractive to them that it is to to their counterparts. And so now you're talking about, like, geo-targeting African-American women. It's even smaller. What that fix is, it's up for discussion. And I think this discussion will maybe possibly help, you know, potentially.
0: So people want to follow you, social media, at Bahati Racing. Bahati Racing, yep, that's me. Twitter and Instagram, the foundation, bahatifoundation.org. Yep. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for doing this for us. See ya. On season one of No Training Wheels. Thanks to everybody who's joined us along the way from March until now. This has really been an incredible journey and one that I'm very much looking forward to continuing in season two. We've got some really great guests that'll be coming up in the second season of the show. We're going to continue to focus on the lifestyle that is the American bike racing scene. And talk to some people who are at the top of the sport, talk to some people who help push the sport along, and, and even talk to some people who you may not have heard of before, but who've been doing incredible things locally here on the East Coast or in the Mid-Atlantic to help push bike racing in a positive direction and make sure that it stays relevant for the future. I want to again thank Rasan for joining us on the season finale here of No Training Wheels also want to give executive producer credit to Jason Meidolf and Sharon Smith for helping put together this interview and just for being all around great people who've really opened my eyes to the positive side of the sport of bike racing. Please visit the website, notrainingwheelspod.com. It's got great extras, new information. I'll try to keep it updated throughout the course of this little break that I'm going to take. So now vacation time for me. It's the off-season in the world of road racing, so I'm gonna take full advantage of that, hit the gym, go on a little travel, do some fun stuff off the bike, as well as those nice, long, slow, happy, joyous uh, group rides that predominate the fall. Please remember to like, share, and And subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Until next time, see you out on MacArthur Boulevard.